thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. So we're continuing this series that we've called Life Happens, Choose Joy. What we know is this, is that in life, things don't always work out the way we think they would or even should. And one of the biggest conflicts in life is this thing with relationships. And last week, I talked about this idea of relationships looking out of Philippians chapter 1. And this book of of Philippians that we're in is the most relational book in the Bible. Paul is writing from prison. He's telling this church that he started in Philippi how much he loves them, how much he adores them, how much he appreciates them. But remember, he's writing this letter from a musty, old, stinky cell. Probably had a cellmate who was just really hard to get along with. And he begins to write and pin this letter that says, I love you, I care for you. And he lays out all through this book this idea of relationships. How do they get along? To be honest with you, I didn't start this series thinking that this was going to be all relationship-based. But as we got in, as we're stepping into Philippians chapter 2 today, we find that this is what Paul is dealing with. He's dealing with how we get along, how we interact with each other, how, how should we interact with each other. And this is absolutely, totally profound, and uh, it's going to be a very challenging message today. So I want you to turn and tell someone, say, put your seatbelt on and get ready to be in pain. Go ahead and tell them, just real quick, just tell them. <laughs> You're like, thanks a lot, Jason, I'm going to come here and be in pain today. Actually, it's a good pain. It's a really good one, and uh, God's going to be challenging us in a very, very significant way. I believe that God wants each and every one of us to have more joy in our life. I said last week, I believe Christians should be the most joyous people on the planet. If you agree, say amen to that. Amen. All right, good. Just, just making sure. Um, the whole idea is this. The problem is... Christians have actually been known for the opposite. That Christians are the most cranky people on the planet. And they're always mean. They're always looking out for what's wrong in somebody's life. And that isn't the way it should be. That's not the way that the kingdom of God works. It is through the kindness of God that led people to repentance. Not the judgment and the angry eyebrows of God. Just so you know. It was the kindness that led people to repentance. And we should reflect that. But in this kindness is this reality of actual joy and happiness. And so we're going to be talking about this whole idea of really the pathway to joy. But if you were to go out and you were to ask some people, what is the pathway to joy? And they would probably say things like this. You know what? You, it's, you need a relationship because a relationship will make you happy. Or you need to get married. Or you, know, you just need to, maybe you need to have a family. Or you need to retire. Or you need to make a lot of money. That's the pathway to joy. But here's the reality of all of that. I know a lot of people who have all those things and they ain't got a lick of joy in their life. And excuse my southern ain't there. But they just don't. And so I'm going to tell you something today that makes no earthly sense whatsoever as we get into this message. And I believe is this, the pathway to true joy is humility. I really do. If you have joy in your life, then humility, if you're going to have joy in your life, then humility is the key. And this is what humility does. It unlocks joy for you. It unlocks it. Now, what is the opposite of humility? It's pride. 
We all know people who are prideful. But let me tell you, so if humility guarantees and unlocks joy, here's the other thing. Pride guarantees sorrow. It guarantees it. If you were to find people who were struggling in their life with deep sorrow in their life relationally, you could always trace it back to this idea of pride. If you were to really think about for yourself, when's the last time you were in real emotional sorrow outside of losing a loved one? And you could trace this emotional deep sorrow in your heart and your spirit and your mind would have something to do with a conflict in a relationship. And that conflict in the relationship, I guarantee you, was directly linked to, to some pride somewhere in someone's life. You could have everything in, that the world has to offer. Fame, fortune, money, success, position. But if you have strife in your relationships, you do not have joy. It's very difficult to have joy. And I believe humility is the key to reducing, even eliminating strife in your life. Pride is what causes strife, and humility is the key that unlocks it. Proverbs 13.10 says this, where there is strife, there is pride. That's what it says. That's what the Bible says. Where there is strife in your life, think about the areas of strife, it's pride. So where there's conflict and strife, you can guarantee that somewhere, again, it is linked to pride. I want to look at the definition of strife here. What does this word mean? It means angry or bitter disagreement, conflict, friction, discord, and dispute. Maybe this, this, maybe this just describes your Sunday morning coming to church, which sometimes it happens on Sunday morning. But Philippians 2, we're going to read in just a moment. Paul lays out how through the life of Jesus we can have great joy. And we can serve one another. And so what I love about this book is we're really looking into the lives of the church in Philippi. The reason why Paul was writing these things was because the church needed to hear about them. And so I believe today that this same book and the same chapter we're going to read that was speaking a couple thousand years ago because it, was the, it is the inspired, written, breathed word of God through the, through the pen of Paul. It's going to speak to us today. And I believe God wants to do something amazing in us and through us. So if you have your Bibles, you can open to Philippians chapter 2. We have it on the screen here. But let me encourage you to read through this chapter yourself. Take it slow, line by line. Today we're going to be moving pretty quickly through here. So Philippians chapter 2. And actually before we read this, I'm just going to pray. Because I believe God wants to do something amazing today. So Lord, we give you this text, your text that you wrote. We give you this message. And God, I just pray that the words of my mouth would be words that would be yours. They would honor you. They would bring glory to you. They would challenge us and set us up to succeed and have more joy in our life. Because even when life happens... God, we can choose to have joy by following your principles. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. amen. Philippians chapter 2, Paul's writing, says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement for being united with Christ, of any comfort from his love, of any common sharing in the spirit, of any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. So he lays out these areas of, of, of unity, being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and one mind. That simply just means this, that you, you have unity of mind, unity of love, unity of spirit. In other words, you're pursuing God the same way. And one mind meaning the same purpose. So do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interest, 
but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he, meaning Jesus, humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Here's the reality. No one wants strife in your life. No one wakes up in the morning and says, you know what I really need in my relationships and my family is just a little bit more strife. That would really make the holidays really fun for me. And you may or may not be going through strife right now, but I guarantee you have, and I guarantee you will. That's, that's, that's a, an unfortunate guarantee. But the reality is there are keys that we can have joy in our lives and less strife in our lives. But everybody has to deal with this. Maybe you are wore out this morning because of strife in your relationship. It could be at home, it could be at work, it could be at, in, in with your family, maybe in friends, or maybe it's, maybe it's something here at church. And this is the reality. This is where we live. There is nothing that causes your joy to leave your soul and your heart any quicker than conflict and strife in a relationship. In a moment, it could be gone. And I believe that this whole idea of humility is the pathway to joy. Really, God has something tremendous for us. Yes, joy is a choice, but us making this decision to follow these principles today are going to set us up for joy. So I just need to warn you before I get into this message, here's what happens. When the Word of God speaks to us and it begins to challenge you and kind of shake you to your core and it begins, you begin to have hope in your relationship. You begin to, to dream, you know what, maybe the word of God is true. Maybe I can have joy in my relationships. Maybe the pathway to joy is humility. And as you begin to walk these out, it stirs something up because the word of God addresses strongholds in our lives. And I, I would be willing to say one of the greatest strongholds in the life of churches, of Christians, is this high idea of conflict, strife in our relationships. Negativity. Our mouth runs wild. And we, the scripture says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. And we speak death over most of our relationships. And so when we begin to deal with this idea of relationships and there, is, there begins to be a crack in our spirits that we can begin to actually have light shine deep into our, our areas of darkness, the enemy rises up against us. So you might have left here last week and thought, you know what, there's hope for my relationships. And all of a sudden, last week was like World War III in your relationships. Which the, what the enemy was doing, he was pushing, he was stiff-arming you in the forehead, poof, just like that. And you're like, I can't, oh, never mind. Maybe God doesn't mean what, this, what, what his scripture says. Maybe there is no hope. Maybe there isn't life that can be had. And I want you to know, and I just want to acknowledge before we get into this message today, the devil is a liar and he's a taker of you. He wants to take everything good from you. But God is a promise-keeping father, and he is a giver, and he wants to give you all good things. So that's what he wants to do today, and that's what I believe he's going to do. So we're going to make the decision we're going to follow the Lord. So let's make that decision. We're going to ignore Satan this week, and we're going to listen to the goodness that God has for us. Everybody say amen. amen. Four instructions from this passage about having less strife in your life. The first 
instruction is this, and then we'll, we'll look into the passage in which this is connected to, is this. Number one, don't make life about yourself. I believe this is one of the major keys to having less strife in your life. Now, what is it called when you live your life all about yourself? It's called pride. That's what it's called. Pride is the root of every other sin, is what Scripture says, and we'll read that in just a moment. It's actually what got Satan kicked out of heaven. He wanted to worship. He wanted everything to be about him. He wanted it his way. It was like, it was like he wanted heaven to be like Burger King. Have it your way. And that's what he wanted. And every relational strife has an element of pride to it. If you want less strife in your relationships, then here's the, here's the reality. You, you must stop allowing your pride to lead you. Again, this is, this is totally opposite than the world we live in, to the culture that we live in. Because everything is about us, about me. Matter of fact, even in our culture, the people we give the most attention to, celebrities, athletes, church leaders, are those who are the most arrogant and those, the most narcissistic. It's really how it is. We give them, we pay them the most attention. We give them the most money. We, everything is about, the, I mean, they, you'll think, now they are so arrogant, so full of themselves. I wonder what they're doing on Twitter. And you'll figure it out. Because you give them attention. You'll buy their stuff. You'll be, I, it's just how our world works because we live in a fallen world. And so this is very challenging to us to not live lives based on ourselves or for ourselves only. It's a very simple principle, very hard to do. And here Paul is talking, and God's telling us today out of Philippians 2, 3, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing. Think about that just for a moment. Do nothing. That's really hard to do. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Paul says basically there are two strife-creating um, prides, kinds of prides in our lives, and it's selfish ambition and it's vain conceit. So here's the idea. This selfish ambition is this, and just to maybe open it up a little bit for you to see, it's saying this, actually life is all about me. And vain conceit means I always have to be right. So how many know that if you, ha- you were in a relationship with those two things present, it's all about me and I always have to be right, that is a, that is a recipe for a not very good relationship. And selfish ambition says, it's all about what I need right now, what I want right now, what I, how I think should, things should go right now. It's, it's also about my fears. It's about my insecurities. And everything we do is about trying to serve me. It's about my success, about my career. It's about my image, which is a big one for most people. It's about my power. And people get upset at work because maybe they may not have the image of power. Or they may not look like they know something. And so they begin to, to manipulate and try to position themselves to be important. People, the reality is people walk out of marriages because marriage was standing in the way of their career or their image. Or people choose a boyfriend or a girlfriend because of the image it gives them. See, I'm loved. See, I have a relationship. They don't really care about that person that they might be dating or the girlfriend or the boyfriend because it's about their image. It's not about the relationship. It's about me. And they care about themselves and themselves only, how they look. And selfish ambition that Paul is talking about here, it, it is, it is a, a cause of all kinds of trouble in relationships. All kinds of trouble. 
James 3.16 talks about this whole idea. It says, for where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder. Another word is confusion and every evil practice. This is a big one. So people think, oh, it's just pride. No, 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 no. It's just a little envy. No, hang on a second. If you have pride, selfish ambition, envy, do you know what else is present in your life? Scripture says every evil practice. That's loaded. And when you find disorder, like this talks about, or confusion in your workplace, in your office, it's a sign that selfish ambition and jealousy are causing it. That's just a reality. And when you find confusion in your home or disorder in your home, you know that it is actually selfishness that's causing that. This is the cause of confusion everywhere is this idea of selfish ambition. It happens in marriages. It happens in friendships. It happens of all places at church. It happens on church staffs. It happens in families. And it, and it sounds like this. And maybe, maybe this will, it will bring it to a level we can, we can really kind of laugh out a bit. But it sounds like this. If you won't play ball with me the way that I want to play ball, I'm going to take my ball and I'm going to go home. Now, it may not be physically leaving. It can be emotionally leaving. Someone hits the eject button because it's just, it's just not how I want to do it. So fine. It can be an, an, an eject of relationally that you just, you, you check them off. Why? Because it's all about me. It's all about what I want. That is what selfish ambition is. Vain conceit is this attitude. Here's the deal. I think a lot of us struggle with this one. I'm always right, and you're always wrong. These are people who can't agree with anything unless it's done exactly the way they want it to be done. And any, any, any deviation from their exact thought or plan turns into an argument. They actually, these are the people that value their own opinion over the relationships of others. They, I mean, it doesn't matter. They will... If, if you do not agree with them, they will sacrifice harmony in a relationship so that they can be right. And actually, they're deceived. They're absolutely deceived. Vain conceit is not being able to let go of the little things that you would disagree with. You hold on to it like a rabid dog on a bone and you won't let it go. You just hang on and hang on. Even though when you know inside, you need to let it go. But you hang on to it because you want to be right. And something that moves from a comment moves to trying to pin the other person against the wall and get them in a corner and prove them and, and degrade them and, and systematically destroy everything they just said just so you can get down to the place for them to say, okay, you're right. And then you're like, okay, that's all I wanted. And it sounds horrible even when I'm talking about it, but here's the deal. We do it every day of our lives. We're trying to pin people to the wall. Try to humiliate them. That is vain conceit. In Galatians, Paul, he's writing another book to another church. He talks about the effects of living with pride. I mean, we're just listening to those selfish ambition, vain conceit. You're, you're not like, boy, that's really nice. That's what I want in my family. That's what I want in my church family. That's what I want in my life. None of us want that. 
But the reality is it is running rampant in our lives. Again, these relationship things in our lives. We've got to find a key to have less strife in our relationships. Paul is writing to this church in Galatians or in, in um, Galatia. And he calls and he talks about the effects of living with pride. And he calls it actually the works of the flesh. And he says when we live self-centered, self-indulgent lives, it shows up in different ways. And then he begins to describe the beginning of this in ways we'd say amen to. It shows up as sexual immorality. In other words, about what I want, what my flesh desires. Shows up in wild partying. Listen, because it's about my feeling. It's about intoxication. He talks about getting drunk. He talks about, and we would expect all those things as self-indulgent people. But actually, the most things that he mentions about living, having, living by the flesh have to do with relationships. Let's look at this just for a moment. Galatians 5 says this. He lists them. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. These are all things that have to do with relationships. And people in our world and the, and the seducer of our world, Satan, has made people live lives all about themselves. And here's the reality. Even as we're going through these, all of us can pull things out and say, you know what? That is an area of my life. And let, I, for me, the desire and heart of this, what I believe God wants to do for us today, is just kind of, it's just gently put his finger on these things in our hearts so we can say, Lord, I don't want that anymore. God, I want to deal with that in my life. God, I, 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 I want to stop pinning people to the wall and then justifying why I'm pinning them to the wall. This whole idea of pride and arrogance and selfish ambition Listen, it should not be in our lives, but we first must admit to say, I have it, Lord, forgive me, cleanse me, now let's move on to the joy you have for me. And that's the purpose of this. And this whole idea is of people who have made lives all about themselves. And if you don't deal with this in your life, Scripture is clear, it guarantees sorrow for you. But if you do, if you will fall on the mercy of God who is waiting for you to say, I'm sorry, help me, forgive me. I guarantee you there is joy on the other side of that decision. And so God is inviting us this morning to embrace that joy. Paul is saying if you want joy in your life, if you want unity in your relationships, you cannot make life about you. The second key is what he talks about here is how do we eliminate or reduce strife in our life is this. We need to be humble. It's very, very simple points today. And humility is the basis and foundation of every great marriage, every great friendship. Because in humility, you don't act like you know it all. And you treat others with respect and with honor. You actually are open that someone else's opinion actually could be right outside of yours. And Paul talks about it in Philippians 2, 3. Again, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in other words, how you interact with one another. Rather, interact in humility and value others above yourself. Now, this makes no sense 
in our society. Our culture is all about me. What matters most is if I like it, is if I enjoy it, if I want it, if I like the way it looks, if I like the way. It, it's all about me. And then if we don't like it, then it's wrong. If we do like it, then it's right. And Paul comes along and he says, says listen, church, just here's a key for, for you to have joy in your life. It's not all about you. Be humble and value others above yourself. C.S. Lewis has this great quote about humility. It's been used all over the planet. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. It's just thinking of yourself less. And humility actually has nothing to do with your opinion of yourself. It's not about, well, I'm just, a, I'm just a worm. I don't really have anything to offer. I've got nothing. That's not humility. That's false humility. Actually, probably trying to get people to say, yes, you do. You're okay. You're great. That's false humility. Humility is what you, it's not about your opinion of yourself. It's about what your, your opinion is of other people around you. That's what humility is. In other words, humility is not putting yourself down. Humility is building other people up. That's really what humility is about. It's not about putting yourself down. It's about building other people up. Humility has some incredible rewards. Outside of generosity and giving in Scripture and what Scripture teaches, there is no greater reward than humility. And actually, Scripture says if you live a humble life, if you depend on God, if you think of others more than yourself, listen to what God promised you. He says, I will give you my peace. I will give you my power. I will give you my presence. I will make you prosperous. I will make you successful. And I will give you honor. Who doesn't want some of that? And humility is the key. All these things are things that people try their whole lives to try to gain and try to get. But it doesn't come through bargaining. It doesn't come through being right. It doesn't come through being number one. It doesn't come through sitting in the biggest chair in the room. It doesn't come by sitting at the head of the table. It doesn't come by being in charge. It doesn't come through boasting. It comes through this incredible, powerful word called humility. Actually, God says in James 4, 6, he says this, God opposes the proud. But gives grace to the humble. That means anytime I'm acting or saying something or thinking in a prideful way, this is what the scripture means. It means I'm on the opposite side of God. If I'm being conceited or arrogant, and I have any time of acting, thinking, or saying something with being conceited, arrogant, full of pride, I am, I am on the opposite side of God. And I don't know about you, that's not where I want to be. Even, here's the other kicker, even if I am right, if I am presenting it in a prideful, arrogant way, not considering others, according to this scripture, God says you're wrong. But look at this other promise on this verse. But to the humble, to the humble, God gives his grace. His grace. His grace to, to move past an offense. His grace not to have to be right. You don't have to be right. The only reason why you want to be right is because we're proud. Gives us the grace to forgive someone when we don't feel like forgiving. Gives us grace to resolve conflict when I don't want to. It's too painful, but God's grace allows us. 
His grace just gives us the ability just to get along with people who aren't like us. Who aren't exactly the way that I would want them to be. Instead of building walls, God gives us grace to build bridges because we need His grace. And the key to grace is to be humble. Another way to minimize and reduce strife in our life. How many know this is a timely message in the middle of the holidays? It really is. It deals. Some of you are thinking, I know who's coming next week. I know it. Listen, ask God for grace. And let's represent Christ. Number three, another way to reduce strife is this. You give your attention to others, to other people in your life. If you want to have joy in your life, you're going to have to have better relationships. That's just how it is. And in order to have joy in your relationships, you're going to have to have humility in the middle of them. And part of that is learning to give up your, or give your attention to others. The reason why I'm saying this is because here's the reality. We live in an ADD world. You know it's true. Attention deficit disorder. Everyone claims it. Everyone wants it. Everyone labels themselves with it just to give them an excuse so they don't have to pay attention to anybody. I'm joking about that. I, you know, just kidding. Because, but here's the reality. Our whole society, you, listen, don't send me an email about that. I know it's real. I know. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just joking. But the reality is the world we live in, the tools and the technology that we have in our hands and the computer and our phones, all of that has trained us to no longer pay attention to the people in front of us. It's just how it is. Or the people in our lives. You can be with an actual person in front of your face having a real conversation and you can be thinking about another person that's buzzing your phone that's not even in front of you. I mean, this is the world we live in. And you, you, I, it creates this internal numbness in all of our lives and our relationships that says this, where I am not is always more important than where I am. That's, that, that's, what this, that's what this whole idea of you're always checking your phone when you're having a conversation with somebody. You're, this is what you're saying. You say, no, I don't believe that. Yes, you do. You're saying the people I am not with are more important than the person I am with. It's an internal numbness. And then we go through our whole lives feeling shallow in our relationships. Well, hello. Because we're never, we're never actually present in our relationships. We're always somewhere else with somebody else that we think actually is, is more important than the person we're with. And it just numbs us. It sterilizes our soul and our ability to have relationships. And what, what I believe Paul's saying is give attention to other people when they're right in front of you. And we're going to have to be humble. We're going to have to give our attention to other people. Philippians 2.4 says this, not looking to your own interest. In other words, what's happening on your phone, what's happening at Facebook. What's, if you're with people, be with people. But each of you, to the interests of other people, don't put your own interests, don't focus on your own interests, but each of you, look to the interests of those who are around you. In other words, don't be interested just in your own agenda, in your own career, in your own hobbies, and again, in your own Facebook. Don't, don't, don't be about that. But be interested in people and their lives. Be interested in their needs. Be interested in their hobbies. Parents, this is a very simple key to, to really, it's a powerful tool to help, in, to help all of us raise our own children. 
You must be interested, now hear me for a second, not in what you want them to be interested in, but you need to be interested in what they are interested in. If they want to play with Legos and you think Lincoln Logs are better for the mind, let me, let me give you a hint. Play with Legos. If you're, if you're like, I, I'm not going to play a video game with them. I'm not going to do it. You're going to stand there and criti- criticize them. Guess what? They're probably going to play video games anyway. Sit down and be like, what are you playing? This is really cool. And just engage with them. Be interested in what they're interested in. And doesn't mean the things that are unhealthy for them that you get interested in that. You help shape them and move them along. But I'm just saying, that which if it doesn't matter, just be interested in it. You'll see your kids' eyes light up. And then you'll be able to lead them to things that will be more beneficial in their life. But first, you must show interest in what they're interested in. And you know what that's called? Love and humility. That's what that's called. The Bible says that these are the things that build relationship. Don't be interested in your own life. Don't be interested in your own everything about you. Here's the question for you. Are you interested in what your wife is saying when she talks to you? Are you interested in what your children are saying to you when they talk to you? Are you interested in what your friends are saying when they're talking? Are you interested in what the pastor's saying? I'm just joking about that one. Are you interested in what your husband is saying? Or while they're talking, are you thinking, this is ridiculous. Of course they want to do this. There's this bitterness and selfish ambition and vacancy just going on in your own heart. The, The fallen human nature is focused on one person. Me. You don't if you don't believe that, let here. If I was to take a picture this morning. We got, got, I got my iPhone and we did a you know, nice panorama of everything here. You know, all the way here. And then I gave each of you a picture. Who would be the first person you would look for? <laughs> you know it's true. You look for one person in that picture. Even if you, your cute grandbaby's in there, you would look for you. And then you'd say, oh, yeah, where are they? You'd think, do I look good? Does my hair look good? Does that color make me look fat? Does it make me look skinny? Oh, the green, the, the green on the back of the chair washes my complexion out. They should definitely change the green. And if you liked how you looked in the picture, you say, that's a great picture. If you didn't like how you looked in the picture, you'd say, the whole picture is really bad. You would. God says, if you want joy, if you want to be happy, then it will come from being interested in what other people are interested in. Caring about what they care about. Engaging with them on that level. Being concerned about what concerns them, not just you. I want to ask you a couple questions this morning. And they're just very direct and they, they have to do with this. Are you interested, only interested in what only concerns you? Is that really what you're only interested in? Do you find yourself being bored when your friends talk about things that they're interested in and you're really not interested in it? When they talk, you think, I really don't care about what you care about. Do you find your attention always drifting, always kind of going off and trying to have an expression that you're paying attention, but on the inside it's like nobody's home, you're thinking about something else? Do you give your attention to those people in your life? This is humility, and this is called love. The fourth thing 
we need to do to have less strife in our life is this. We need to follow Christ's example. And this is how Paul lays this out in Philippians 2. In your relationships, in verse, verse 5, in your relationships with, other, with one another. So he didn't say certain relationships. He didn't say only these. He didn't say only Christians. He didn't say only spouses. He didn't say only best friends. He didn't say only girlfriends. He says in your relationships, all of them, with one another, have the same mindset as Christ. So Jesus set the example for us to follow. So if we really care about our relationships, for, for how we interact with people, if we really want to remove and lower strife in our lives, if we really want more unity in our lives, if we want more joy in our lives, I must not make life about myself. I must be humble. I must give my attention to others. And I must follow Jesus Christ's example. In a conflict that I'm having or a strife moment that I'm having, we need to ask the question, which is, I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just saying this is the standard which God's called us to. How do I respond to that person? I think, how would Jesus respond? In a working situation, how do I respond to that person? Do I respond the way I feel or respond the way that Jesus would respond since he's my example? Maybe something, somebody's feeling, feeling guilty, someone's hurt you, and you want to hold that over them and, and manipulate them and control them. Ask, would Jesus do that? No. He would forgive them and release them. If Jesus ever had maybe hurt someone's feelings in an area that, that maybe he had done wrong, though, though he didn't because he was perfect, but the reality is he is our example. And if that was to happen, he would then, how does he reconcile that? What do I need to do to make things right between us? This is, this is painful because it's not about us. We're sitting back thinking, well, I want you to think how you're going to make it right with me. That's what we think. When someone is worried in your home, instead of saying, listen, just read the Bible, get over it. How do you respond to them and help them? How would Jesus interact with them? How would Jesus talk to them? And if you really ask this question on all these situations, you're going to come out with answers that are really based in humility. How do you lower strife? How do you, bring, how do you, how do you help, help yourself not pick up bitterness and anger and resentment and difficulty? This is how you do it. You follow his example. I want to give you three quick things this morning of commitments that I believe God wants us to make today in our relationships. And number one is this. We will make the commitment this morning, if you choose to do so, is this. I will not demand my rights. I will not demand my rights in a relationship. Philippians 2.6 says this, though he was God, speaking about Jesus, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He emptied himself of all he had. He did not demand his rights. That's acting like Jesus. I never demand what I think I deserve. We go through life thinking we deserve a whole lot. And when we don't get it, we get demanding. We, you're, no, I'm, I don't demand it. And then all of a sudden, if you're not giving it, man, you start demanding it. It happens all the time in restaurants. I see it all the time. Christians who order something, something didn't go right, something. Man, you, all of you get nasty. And you start, and you, you know, you, and then, and then finally it comes, you're like, let's pray. And you hold hands and you pray. <laughs> you're like, well, I said grace. Why? Because it was about an image thing probably. 
It happens. We get demanding of our rights. You might say, yeah, but I have a right as a husband. Yeah, you do. You might say, I have a right as a wife. Yeah, you do. But you're not going to get what you need by being demanding and demanding your rights. Jesus did. The Christ-like thing to do is I don't demand what I think I deserve. Man, this is hard. (laughs) Remember, our example in interacting with with each other is this. Again, though he was God, he did not demand to cling and cling to his rights as God. He didn't do it. Second commitment that I believe God wants us to make today as his followers is this. Okay, God, I will follow your example and I will look for opportunities to be a servant. I will look for opportunities to be a servant. Philippians 2.7, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant upon himself. If you want to be like Jesus, if you're going to have to learn to serve. That's the exact opposite of our culture. Our culture says the whole goal of life is to get people to serve you. That's the whole goal of life. The more people you have serving you, the more important you are. And that's what the world says. But God doesn't say that. The value system is actually the exact opposite. It's not about the more people serving you, the more important you are. It's this. It's the more people you serve is the more important you are. That's really what Scripture is talking about. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. Being a servant comes more natural for some than others. But no matter what, it's still hard. It's still difficult. And here's the deal. Your value doesn't come from how many people are serving you. Your value doesn't come from your salary. Your value doesn't come from your status. It doesn't come from your stuff. Your value comes from your service that you do in the name of the Lord to others. The more you give life away, the more God honors and gives it back to you. The more you sacrifice of yourself, the more God honors and gives back to you. Scripture says that if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, it says this, in due time, he will exalt you. So the way up is down. That's just how it is. Being a servant is hard. Because still in the back of our minds, we still want to be the, the one being seen or seen as being served. It's just how it is. This is radical. This is absolutely opposite than how all of us have been trained to live our lives in every school, any interaction. And when you walk around your church, and let me ask you this question. When you walk around the church, you see trash needs to be picked up. Do you think, I'll pick that up? Or do you think, well, someone's paid to pick that up? Now, here's the deal. Our character is revealed in crisis. When the pressure comes in, our character begins to kind of pop through a little bit. But our character is built on everyday decisions that we make. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Here's a big one. It's kind of like returning a grocery cart at the store. Let let me give you guys a challenge. If if, If you want to have a battle with your flesh... You're going to stand there with that cart, and you're going to see, here's the cart. There's a return place. There's a cart. I mean, you're going to, you're going to like, start manifesting. Like, you'll start bucking and jerking. <laughs> I, yeah, but yeah, someone gets paid to do that. Come on. Come on. Just take, I take authority over my flesh right now in the name of and just you just walk 20 steps and return the cart. It's okay. 
Now, for your mamas with kids, and you listen, you just leave the cart right there and you get in and take care of your babies. But for the rest of you, return a stinking cart, will you? <laughs> it's a test for us. And let, let, let me just give you a 30 day cart return challenge. <laughs> just do it. Just do it. When you think about it, we, <laughs> we as Christians, we know we are we're, we're saved and we were served by Jesus. But our life can end up clawing, always pushing for more attention, more recognition, more acknowledging. You know, I'm just here to serve. I just want everyone to notice that I'm serving. That's all. And my wife, has, she's said this her whole marriage, and I wish she wouldn't say it as often to me. But she says this. She said, you know you're a servant when you don't get mad when you're treated like one. You know you're a servant when you don't get mad when you're treated like one. So the last commitment that I believe that God wants us to make today is number three. Even when it hurts, I'm going to do what is right. Philippians 2.8 says this. And being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself even when he totally understood the excruciating pain that he would be facing of the cross. And he did what was right, even though it hurts. Because Jesus is the ultimate model of humility. That's what all of Philippians 2 is about. Is there a reward? Yes, there was a reward for your humility. There was a reward for Jesus. Because Jesus was the greatest example. God has given Jesus the greatest honor on the universe. We read about it at the end of this passage. I want you to read it. This is what happened because Jesus chose humility. And it will happen to you and your life. This is what happened. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should and will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord. To the glory of God the Father. This is incredible. I hear all the time, you know, Jason, what, what's our world coming to? I, well, I don't know what, what's going on right now, but I will tell you what the world is going to come to. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Everyone will. And they will confess that Jesus said... And is who he said he was. That he is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. He's the Son of God. He came here. He was who he said he was. He died on a cross. He rose from the dead. He is exalted, seated at the right hand of the Father. And he's and here he is. One day, every knee is going to bow. Whether they, they believe in him or not believe in him. They will confess. It will be obvious. They may have rejected him in life and their destiny is going to be hell, but their knee is going to drop and their mouth is going to say, you said who, you are who you said you are. That's just a reality. This is what our world's coming to. And why? Because Jesus was humble. Jesus embraced his calling and he, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. And here's what, you don't have another way to get into heaven except through the grace of Jesus Christ and the work of his humility, which is the cross. If there was another way, believe me, God would have done it. He would not have sent his own son. It was the only way, and he did it for you. He did it 
for me. He did it to set the example of what it means to live a life of joy, to live a life of peace, to live a life that overcomes the world, to live a life that has great relationships and we can access the joy that he has for us. Let's make a commitment to follow Jesus together, that we won't make life about ourselves, that we will be humble, that we'll give attention to other people, and that we will follow Jesus Christ example. Let's all stand to our feet today. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.